victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Thank you, Dave. Continuing chronologically through Scripture, Proverbs 21 is where we're at. Very interesting passage we're going to start with. So, so I want you to listen closely. Uh, sometimes when a preacher starts, it takes you a couple of minutes to catch up with him. I want you to be alert from the start on this because this is some very, very inter interesting information to me. Proverbs 21, verse 19 says this, It is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and an angry woman. It is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. Now, we get hung up on that second part about her being contentious and angry, but the first part is what I want to draw your attention to. It's going to sound funny, but it's a legitimate question. Does this mean the wilderness is an option? Does this mean that if you've got a contentious and an angry woman at home, it's optional to leave her and just go to the wilderness? The Pharisees said yes. The Pharisees said yes. In the passage that Ray read a minute ago, they went to Jesus and said, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And this was one of the passages they were referring to. I believe deep in their heart they knew it was not okay. But they wanted to trip him up into contradicting Scripture. And if they could have done that, it would have totally destroyed the idea that he was the Son of God. How is Jesus going to answer verse 19 and other verses like it in the case of living with a contentious and angry woman? By the way, Jesus said no. Very clear, Jesus said no. How often, and ladies, you're not going to like this, but it's true. It's in the past that Ray read. How often is it difficult to live with a wife? Their conclusion was it's better not to marry at all. That was their conclusion. Jesus said you can't get divorced except in the case of fornication. Their conclusion was it's better to not get married because women are so difficult to deal with. Let's be real. That's exactly the conclusion they came with. Who are the Pharisees? They were the leading religious leaders. I submit to you that Proverbs 21.19 should never be read by itself. What I'm going to teach you this morning, I've never heard anybody else teach. Certainly the Pharisees didn't teach it, but it's something the Lord showed me. It's like, that makes sense. Just nine verses ago, by the way, 
just nine verses, same chapter, nine verses ago, he said something similar. In verse 9, it's better to dwell in the corner of the housetop than with a brawling woman in a white house. Very similar, but in that case, clearly he has to stay in the house. But in verse 19, it appears if it gets bad enough, you get to leave. Why say this again? Why bring this up again nine verses later? I submit to you the answer is verse 18. The wicked shall be a ransom for the righteous and the transgressor for the upright. I submit to you that verse leads into verse 19. Now what we saw in verse 18, the wicked shall be a ransom for the righteous. We talked about how Jesus is a ransom to get us to heaven, but God uses the unsaved people to provide for us. God uses the wicked. Leading into verse 19, it's better to dwell in the wilderness than with a wicked woman. You say, well, I wouldn't call her a wicked witch. Wicked is simply not seeking Jesus. If she's contentious and she's angry, she's not seeking Jesus. End of story. If she's contentious and she's angry, she's not seeking Jesus because Jesus teaches to be, to be content with what you have. Jesus, can teach us, Jesus teaches to submit to your husband. So if she's contentious and angry, she, is, she qualifies as the wicked in verse number 18. Put them together, though. That's what I want you to see. Put them together. God uses in verse 18 what the wicked do, and in verse 19 she is wicked. Put them together. God is using what they, I'm saying they instead of her because this works in the opposite with women and men. God is using what they are doing, being contentious, being angry, being brawling. God is using what they are doing for our good. The Pharisees didn't see that because the Pharisees saw the Psalms like most people see the, the Proverbs, like most people see the Proverbs as a bunch of shotgun, this, 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 that has nothing to do with it. And I submit to you, Solomon put them in order. And he says, verse 19, the same thing basically said in verse 9 in conjunction with verse 18. Why is this so important? The Pharisees said, it's better just to not get married. Is that a true statement? Well, of course not. It's, a, it's, a, it's the total opposite of what God intended. Why would God institute marriage if it's better not to do it? Doesn't make any sense. On the other hand, if God is using the difficulty in marriage for our good, suddenly it brings on a whole new purpose for marriage. I submit to you that the contentious, the angry, the brawling on either side of it is an indication that I'm not doing my job. What is my job as a husband? To provide her with security via love. To provide her with security via love. If I'm not giving her what she needs most, she's going to be contentious. She's going to be angry. She's going to be brawling. It's, she's going to be. Her needs are not going to be met. Now, ultimately, all Christians are to have these needs met in Jesus. That's why, uh, if you're single. You can still have your greatest need met through Jesus. In marriage, though, God designed for us to meet each other's greatest need, and the problems are evidence of a bigger problem. That bigger problem God is using, according to verse 18. 
if we will take it and handle it correctly. The problem that we have in our society is it's too easy to get divorced. Straight up. Divorce is just as common among Christians as in non-Christians. Y'all know I'm divorced and remarried. It's very easy to take verse 19 and say, you know what? I'm going to the wilderness. The Pharisees thought that was okay. The problem is Jesus said no. That creates a conflict in the mind of a Christian. But in the mind of a non-Christian, there's no conflict. In the mind of an unsaved person or a Christian that doesn't know what Jesus said, they see permission in verse number 19. But what is Solomon saying? He's saying the opposite. Use it. Use it to make your marriage better. When I saw that, it's like, that's powerful. That is really powerful. But it all goes back to why did he say it again? That's where it all goes back. Why did he say it again? Did he forget he said it? No, he didn't forget. He's saying it again because it fits the context of what he's talking about. There are no hopeless proverbs. Verse 19, by itself, is hopeless. By itself, verse 19, is hopeless. With verse 18, it's hopeful. <clears throat> verse 20, there is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. There is treasure to be desired. What is treasure to be desired? Some kind of valuable. Some kind of valuable. Doesn't have to be anything particular, but there's something there worth stealing. There's something there worth coveting if you're an unsaved person. There is treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise. What is oil? Oil, um, we could go deep and deep, deep into what oil represents in Scripture, but let's just suffice it to say you have everything that you need. Treasure and oil, that's the most that you could possibly hope for in those particular days. Everything we have today would fit into one of those two categories. We're not going to go into all that, but everything that we could possibly have today would fit under treasure or under oil. There's treasure to be desired and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. The question is this. Is there treasure and oil figuratively in my house, in your house, or am I spending it up? Does this say wise people are always rich? If that's true, then there's a lot of us that are just plain not wise. What does it mean to be wise? What does it mean to be foolish? These are questions that have to be answered or else the Pharisees will come along and say, God likes us because we're rich. And that's what they did. You know who else does that? TV preachers. TV preachers. If God likes you, He's going to bless you. That just makes sense. God's Word says these different things. They quote this verse. The TV preachers quote this verse. They say, it says right there, you're going to be wealthy if God's pleased with you. Ask Jesus if that's what it means. Jesus is always the example to go to with any verse in the whole Bible. 
What did we see in Jesus regarding this topic? Was Jesus always rich? Believe it or not, there are those now that are teaching that Jesus was very rich. How in the world can you say that? They use the wise men bringing gold. They use the fact that Joseph and Mary bought a house. They didn't live in a stable, but they bought a house. They use at his death um, that they gambled for his clothing, saying it must have been some kind of very valuable clothing. I submit to you it was, and I think they wanted something famous. If Jesus was rich, why did he say, birds have nests, but I don't have a place to lay down? Why would he say that if he's rich? It made no sense. If Jesus was rich when it came time to pay the temple tax, why did Peter have to go and get it out of a fish's mouth? Jesus was not rich. And this does not say that wise people are always rich. Solomon has already said, by the way, in the book of Proverbs, all the way back to chapter 6, go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. And be wise. This is the definition of wisdom, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer. Meat is food. It's not always uh, animal flesh. It just means food. Provideth her meat in the summer, and gathereth her food in the harvest. There is treasure to be desired in the dwelling of the wise ant. And there can be treasure in the dwelling of the wise person today or in the days of Jesus who does not have something stealable, so to speak. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou rise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding the hands to sleep, so shall thy poverty come as one that traveleth, and thy want as an armed man. Going back to Proverbs 21, uh, verse 20, he repeats that, a foolish man spendeth it up. Literally Proverbs 6 and Proverbs 21 repeat each other. Proverbs 20, verse 4 does the exact same thing. The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold, therefore shall he beg in harvest and have nothing. Verse 20 of Proverbs 21, there is treasure to be desired in the house of the wise. The person that's wise will go plow. The person that's wise will provide for the future. Therefore, the sluggard shall beg. The foolish man spendeth it up. What's he spending up? He's spending up his time. He's spending his time sleeping. That is treasure to be desired and oil in the house of the wise. Proverbs 20, verse 13, does it again. Love not sleep, lest thou come to poverty. The foolish man spendeth it up. Same thing. Continuing, open thine eyes, and thou shalt be satisfied with bread. 21, 20, there is treasure to be desired. In this case, food. Food and oil in the dwelling of the wise. Solomon has taught this over and over and over. Why say it a fourth time? I hope you're looking at verse 19 because that's exactly what I think we're supposed to do. Why say it again should make me look to the verse before. And I, I want to encourage you, do that in the book of Proverbs. 
when he repeats himself, don't think he must have forgot he said it. He didn't have a computer. Okay, A minute ago, he repeated the same concept nine verses apart. He does it on purpose. Uh, I think it's Ecclesiastes. I can't remember. But one of the books that he that it talks about, it says he set in order the Proverbs. That says something. He set them in order. One commentator that I looked at answering the question, why does he repeat so much? You know what the, their answer was? Repetition develops memory. Well, what about the ones he didn't repeat? Were they not important? The repetition comes from our study, not from how many times it's written in the book. It's written in the book more than once because it fits the context. Why say, love not sleep, there is treasure to be desired? Why say it a fourth time? Verse 19, it's better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. You say, what in the world does that have to do with having treasure in your house? If we will do the work, God will bless in our marriages. If we will do the work, God will bless in our marriages. Now, does that guarantee that we're going to have a good marriage? Absolutely not, because I'm married to a sinner, and guess what? I'm one too. Okay? The math itself doesn't work to have a good marriage with two sinners together. God will bless. What does that mean? God will bless our efforts. God will do things that we may miss if we don't look for them. And I submit to you, God does a lot of that. Sometimes, when a Christian is in an accident, he will say, God protected me. An unbeliever hearing that will then reply, if God was protecting you, why did he let you get in the accident in the first place? How do you answer that? How many accidents did God protect me from? How many accidents did God protect me from today? We don't give him credit because we don't look for it. The only thing we give him credit for is the close calls. We should give him credit for all the potential problems that we have. We should give him problem for all the give credit for the problems that he didn't give us what we want because he is in fact working it for our good according to scripture in several places. We don't give him credit for that either. So what does God do if he wants credit? He takes you right to the edge and then pulls you back. He'll get credit for that for a minute. We sin way more than we think we do. Just in the area of lack of praising God. In the area of not giving Him credit. The Pentecostals work very hard to praise Him, but I submit to you, even they don't give Him credit. True. They just say praise the Lord. What is praise the Lord? It says give God credit for something. What has God done Oh, I don't know. Yesterday, Dad was talking about how rich he is. 
because he's going to heaven. I said, you're rich now. I said, no, nah, I'm not rich now. He said, I, my needs are met, but I'm not rich now. I said, think about this for a second. This car that we're in, if you could send it back to the days of Jesus and sell it as it is right now, how much would a rich person pay for it? He'd get everything for it. Okay? In the days of Jesus, you walked. If you were rich, you had a camel, but you didn't have no car. I don't care how rich you were, you weren't going to get there in an hour. You weren't going to get there clean. That's why they washed each other's feet, because you got dirty everywhere. I don't care how wealthy you were. In Dad's car, we don't get dirty. But we also don't consider ourselves rich. I submit to you, when the Lord brings these things to our mind, stop and say, Lord, thank you that I got here so quickly. Because no one in the days of Jesus could have done that. Jesus could have. He chose not to. Jesus chose to walk where he went. But what could Jesus have done with your car that you have? What could he have done with it? What could Paul have done with the car that we have? We are incredibly rich. Take your house where you live. Take it back to the days of Jesus. Compare it to what they had. Uh, my house has got a couple of problems with it, folks. They would love to, the rich would love to have your house. No leaks at all? Well, there's that one, one leak. You only got one leak. And the rich person would say, you're out of your mind if you think you're not rich. I would give everything I have to have the house that you have. Electricity, internet. How much would the rich have given 2,000 years ago for the internet? What could Jesus have done with the internet? Now, I don't want to go into should he have had it. Obviously, he did what he did because it was the best way to do it. But folks, we are rich. Even compared to the other side of the world, we're rich. We need to say, thank you, God, for giving me what I have. When you walked in here today, anybody smell anything? Are we thankful for God providing us with new carpet? Or are we thinking, that smell is still here. I can't believe we're making a sip with the smell. There's treasure to be desired. And oil in the house of the wise, it's there. It's already there. But we must be wise and acknowledge it. And when it's verse 19, when we got problems, we must be wise and acknowledge what God is doing in those problems. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap. What's the opposite side? If we faint not. What does it mean to faint? Most other denominations would say that means you lose your salvation. There's a lot of verses in Scripture that other denominations use to say you can lose your salvation. Um, someone said, we have our verses, they have their verses. 
How can they all be true? That's the question. How can they all be true? We've got to study all of them. What's he saying in 6 9? He's saying there's treasure to be desired if you're wise, or you can spend it all up. I think it's all he's saying. He's simply saying, do the work, and you'll be surprised what you have. Scripture says this over and over and over. In everything, give thanks. Have I thanked God for everything? An easier question is, have I thanked God for anything? This concept, it, it, just, it, it obsesses me because there's so many things that we take for granted. Right now, the roof over your head, any other time in history would cave in. If the Romans built this building, they'd have to have columns every six, seven feet for us to cave in. Am I thankful that what's up there is not caving in? Well, that, that's, that's the construction. That's good construction. Is it? Do roofs ever cave in? And I thank God that that roof is staying up there. And I thank God that there's not a hurricane outside. Have I thank God I'm not dying of COVID? Have I thank God I'm not in the hospital with a broken uh, uh, um, hip? We could go on and on and on with this. But most Christians are like I. I don't want to imply that I'm better now, but I used to never thank God for anything. I just, what, 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 give me this, give me this, give me, give me, give me, give me. But I never thanked Him for anything. And it occurred to me, it's like, if I'm not going to thank Him for anything, why would He give me anything else? It's kind of like going to your dad saying, Dad, can I have $10? And He gives it to you. You walk away. Hey, Dad, can I have $10? He gives it and you. walk away. Dad, can I have $10? No. <laughs> Why would he give me another $10 if I don't even thank him for the two that he's already giving me? Why would he give me a hundred? Why would he give me a thousand? He's got it. I know he's got it. He's too smart. 21. He that followeth after righteousness and mercy findeth life, righteousness, and honor. What does it mean to follow after righteousness and mercy? It's two different things. Righteousness is following God's word. That's where the ultimate righteousness is at. Is there righteousness outside of God's word? There's some righteousness outside of God's word, but I submit to you, until we've mastered God's word, don't worry about it. But not just righteousness, mercy. What is mercy? It's putting up with those that have not gotten it because, quite frankly, we haven't gotten most of it ourselves. He that followeth after righteousness and mercy findeth life, righteousness, and honor. Pop quiz, folks. Do not answer out loud. Pop quiz. What is he looking for in verse 21? In your own mind, answer it. What is he looking for? By the way, I'm not looking for any kind of weird concept. Just think of the words it says. Just the words that it says in verse 21. What is he looking for? Question number two. What does he find? Don't make up what it really means. It's just the actual words. What does he find? 
There's two things I want to point out. Number one, he's looking for two things, but he finds three. That's significant. But the thing I want to point out more, he finds treasure and oil. Do you see how context fits in the book of Proverbs? I never, ever saw this, but it's, this is powerful, powerful stuff when we get into the Proverbs that are hard to understand. What's the one before it say? What's the one after it say? About the one before that, I'm not even going to all that. Cause you're talking about something that will mess with your head. Getting several Proverbs to fit together? Solomon did. It works if we will take the time to study. Jesus said in Matthew 5, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Exactly the same concept. What is it they're looking for? What is it they find? Is it possible we're not finding what we're looking for because we're looking for the wrong thing? This is wisdom. This is Proverbs. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. What's he looking for? What's he find? Is it possible I'm not finding mercy because I'm not merciful? 22. A wise man scaleth the city of the mighty and casteth down the strength of the confidence thereof. A wise man, he doesn't do it by being strong. He does it by being wise. What's the difference? He outthinks them. He outthinks them. He takes what he knows to be true and he uses it as his power. I'll give you an example. Jericho. Jericho was walled and no one was getting in. God said, march around it. What's a day? Did that for six days and nothing happened. This is not working, God! On the seventh day, God said, march it around it seven times. On the seventh day, they got to the sixth time. God, we've marched around the city twelve times since we started. Nothing's happening. God says, do the last one. They marched around it, the walls come down. Is that wisdom or is that their own power? That's wisdom. A wise man scaleth the city of the mighty, and Joshua did, but not with his own strength. Casteth down the strength of the confidence thereof, Joshua did, not using his own strength. And I submit to you, we can do the exact same thing if we will use the Proverbs. If we will use the Proverbs in our day-to-day -day life, in the questions, the problems that are put in front of us, if we will use them, wisdom will give us strength you can't possibly imagine. Or we can sit back and say, well, I can't believe God's letting this happen to me. Where in Scripture is that okay to say? But we do it every, all the time. You know, I say we, I mean me. This is stuff, if we don't keep it in our mind, sin will pop right back in and drive it right back out. Next thing you know, in the course of a few hours, you flip back and forth a couple of times. Is that good or bad? Well, if I'm flipping to the good, that is good. If I'm flipping to the bad, that is bad. 
as a sinner, I'm probably not going to stay on the good, but I am probably going to stay on the bad if I don't work it. So I submit to you, flipping back and forth is a good thing. It shows that we're trying. Wisdom is very, very powerful. I encourage you, don't just blow through the Proverbs. It is so tempting to look them, look at them like a list of names. And you get done, and you can't remember one of them. I submit to you, a good way to do the Proverbs is Proverb of the Day that Dad's been talking about for years and years and years. What's today's date? The 11th. The 11th? Okay. Today would be a good day to look at Proverbs 11 and just find one verse that stands out to you. Just one. Don't try to do the whole chapter. Save that for your Bible reading. But find one proverb that hits out of Proverbs 11. Do that every single day and you'll be surprised at how powerful wisdom will be in our own lives. Strength must be built up. The strength of wisdom must be built up. If we wait to study God's Word, it's no different than waiting to exercise. It's exactly the same concept. It will not be there when we need it. In my life, many times, I have started exercising. And the exact same number of times, I have stopped exercising. You know what you get when you start and stop over and over? You get weakness. Proverbs, wisdom, God's Word, exactly the same scenario. Build it up day by day by day by day. And then one day, you need it, and it's there. Very, very powerful stuff. Let's, let's, let's stop right here. Father, thank you so much for what you have in the Proverbs. Thank you for revealing things to us that you didn't reveal to other people. Father, thank you that you have yet to reveal to us things that you haven't revealed to us yet. Because you are the ultimate wise man. You are the one who knows not only what to teach, but when to teach it. Help us as we learn these things to use these things. Because you gave them to us for a reason. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.